Hello and welcome to LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of books in every fiction genre, including science fiction and fantasy, mystery, romance, and crime. I'm Lenny Picker, a freelance writer for Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with Adrian Magson. His fifth Harry Tate thriller, Execution, will be published in September by Severn House, the sponsor of today's podcast. Here's an excerpt. She awoke to the scuff of leather shoes in the corridor. Eyes dragged open, gummy with sleep, then closed again. A reflex action. Easy does it. Relax. You're safe. She froze as a random thought wormed slowly through her befuddled mind. The nurses don't wear leather shoes. She was familiar enough with the hurried tread of consultants or the heavy and measured stroll of the security guards. So who? Outsiders. Not good. She willed her breathing to remain steady. Not easy with a hole in her side. She focused instead on the air around her, going over the small details to get her brain working. She'd been shot. She was in a hospital. Kins College, South London. The major trauma centre, they told her. She kept forgetting that bit. Stuff seemed to leak out of her head all the time, like water from a hold bucket. She concentrated. It was night, she was certain, at a guess 2am. There wasn't the hum of daytime activity, the rush of feet, the voices, nor the beep of electronics signifying seconds to someone's total blackness and a bed left empty. Wakefulness brought a throb in her temples and a woozy feeling from the drugs, and the stickiness between her shoulder blades from lying in the overheated, cloying atmosphere for too long. There was a tightness across her middle and the tug of plaster against skin, still tender and sore. So who was out there and why now? The door to her room whispered open. Soft footsteps approached the bed accompanied by a man's nasal breathing. Her body shrieked with a sense of vulnerability, but she remained still. It wasn't hard. She'd had a lot of practice in this place, using it to distance herself as much from the probing of questions as her fingers, of their barely restrained curiosity about what had brought a civilian woman here with a gunshot wound. That excerpt was read by uh, Adrian Magson from Chapter 1 of Execution. Uh, Adrian, could you start by telling us who the woman is and what her connection is with your lead character, Harry Tate? Well, in the first Harry Tate novel, Red Station, uh, Harry was sent to a a securities uh, outpost in Central Europe. Um, after uh, a drugs bust had gone wrong. And it turned out to be a dumping ground for various intelligence agencies, uh, for officers who'd either burnt out or done something very wrong. And Claire, who's the woman in the bed, um, was an MI6 officer who had got caught on the wrong end of a honey trap operation. And um, she had actually ended up in the same place as Harry Tate, although they weren't exactly close friends. But in the last book, uh, she had... Um, got shot, saving Harry's life. And this is why she's in this trauma center um, and can hear what's going on. And could you talk a little bit about where the character of Harry Tate came from? I suppose from a mixture of various people. Um, I wanted a character who wasn't um, this sort of dual bond type. Um, but I didn't want an everyman who, who really didn't have certain skills. So I decided to choose an ex-army officer, which is what Harry is, but also uh, a former MI5 officer. And uh, in the first book, he is with MI5, um, the securities uh, agency here in the UK. And he then leaves them after uh, a rogue officer tried to have him terminated. 
Um, so in this book, now in execution, he's working as a civilian contractor, um, working still on behalf of the security agencies in the UK. Um, and this is really what he does. He's still closely connected with the intelligence and espionage world, uh, but he's actually working as a freelance. And you, you've talked about sort of how the character's job and, and experiences have changed. Uh, how has he, how has his personality changed? How has he grown or regressed as a person from the first book to, to execution? He's, he's grown in a different direction in that um, he was um, initially a very loyal service of the, servant of the state. And um, he would always do what he was told, which is how he ended up in the position that he was in. And they said to him he had to leave the country after that busted drugs operation because two civilians got killed. So he did as he was told, which was his normal way of doing things. He was a loyal servant of the state. Since they tried to have him terminated, however, or at least his, his rogue boss did, uh, Harry's grown outwards into a much more individual operator where he's doing his own thing, uh, he's working in different operations, uh, and is very much uh, a different person, no longer as loyal, but still loyal, if you, if you know what I mean. He's not going to do everything that they tell him, but he still has a very powerful loyalty to his country and to the intelligence services. And when you started to write the first book, did you have in mind this sort of arc of his life up until this point? Was that something you'd had in mind from the beginning? Well, um, I wrote the first book with a sort of follow-on vaguely in mind, but it was my first book with this particular publisher, so you never really know which way it's going to go. But, you know, they said to me, could this be a series? And I said, yeah, of course it can. Uh, hoping, hoping that I could come up with another storyline. But I did have some ideas already in mind. Um, and I always had the idea that Harry would grow to work in different areas, still connected with the intelligence world. But um, I hadn't really got a clear idea of how that would develop, only that it would. And that various characters from the first book would come back, as does Claire in this particular one. And what about writing fiction set in the intelligence world appeals to you? It's the secrecy. It's the, um, it's the mystery and the puzzle. It, it always has. Ever since I was a kid, I loved spy novels because uh, they weren't people on the street in the normal sense of the word. They weren't PIs. They weren't policemen. Um, these people operated in the shadows, and that's what's always appealed to me. And I wanted to write about them. Um, and it took me a while before I actually got round to it, but uh, it was something I'd always wanted to try. And I loved the, the, the stories, you know, by McCarrie and others, um, because they were people in the shadows and they therefore had um, different pressures on them. They had different skills and um, a different way of working. And I, I liked that. I thought it was a great kind of story to tell and I still do enjoy it. And what sort of things do you do to make uh, the presentation of intelligence work uh, as realistic as possible? I read as much as I can, um, and I'm constantly surprised by how little we can actually make up that doesn't come true uh, eventually. Um, you know, there was recently the uh, British agents who were caught hiding messages in rocks in Moscow. Um, there was, uh, you know, the uh, spies discovered in, in the States, uh, the Russian spies. Um, and that's always been the same, it seems. Nothing's changed over the last sort of 50-odd years or even longer. 
Um, so I read a lot. I research a lot. I read in between the lines. And um, out of that usually comes a story. And I always try and hang the story on some kind of real event. And the execution especially was hung on the uh, following of the uh, poisoning of Litvinenko in a, a London hospital, the uh, ex-FSB agent. And I decided to bring out um, a friend of his, or previous friend and colleague of his, who was murdered by the uh, FSB in London, again, in a hospital. And um, as it turned out, that wasn't so, so weird, because uh, not that long ago, uh, a gentleman called Berezovsky was uh, found dead in his home in uh, Surrey, just south of London. Again, he was a friend of Litvinenko, uh, said to have fallen out with the, the current regime. So it seemed to sort of, um, you know, have some relevance as far as a general story was concerned. If I remember correctly, uh, Litvinenko was, was killed in 2006. Is that right? That's right. That's correct. By um, yeah, poison. You said a few moments ago that, sort of paraphrasing, obviously, that a lot of the essentials of the tradecraft of spy and intelligence work over the last half century haven't changed that much. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the choice of time period for the Harry Tate books and how the books would have differed um, had they been set, say, 10 years before, 10 years later. I think, um, I like to think the Harry Tate books are very current now, except if they'd been 20, 30 years ago, there wouldn't have been the technology involved. Um, and that has been, obviously, the essential change. Um, but their methods of operating, uh, the acquisition of information, of um, buying uh, inside information, buying people who actually are traitors, uh, is the same and always has been. It hasn't changed a bit. Uh, it's just that technology now um, helps or hinders you know, in whichever way it, uh, it presents itself. I'm wondering if you can expand on the helps or hinders notion. In speaking to some other writers, and here I'm thinking yeah. mostly of mystery writers, there's some who deliberately set their novels in the pre-cell phone era because there's certain sort of classic dramatic situations where, you know, nowadays people would say, well, you know, they just pick up a cell phone and sort of call for help. And they like having fewer resources available to their leads in this sort of, I don't want to say pre-technological era, but, you know, pre-cell phone era. So given that you're setting the books in contemporary times with contemporary technology, um, can you talk about whether that makes it easier or harder for you to write uh, a more interesting and sophisticated plot? Well, I think uh, I probably don't go as far into technology as some writers do. Um, I prefer the individuals, the characters, and how they get into a situation, how they get out of it. And the use of technology, as far as I'm concerned, is probably much more limited than other writers um, because it's not something I want to take over the book. Um, I want the characters to be uh, the leaders in the book and in the story arc. Um, how they use technology is probably fairly limited. Um, they use cell phones, obviously. Uh, Harry Tate has a colleague who was a former intelligence officer as well, uh, who is a, an IT expert. So he uses him to get information. But Harry actually doesn't ask too many questions about how he gets the information. So whether Rick hacks into certain situations and he's part of a hacker community um, or whether he actually has uh, an inside track Harry really doesn't ask too many questions. Um, that's down to him to do. Harry does the legwork. 
Harry does the stuff which he was trained as as an MI5 officer in looking for people, surveillance, all of the usual things involved. Now that the series is five books in, um, yeah. can you look back at the first one and think about whether you would write it any differently, knowing how the series and the character has evolved? Uh, to be honest, I don't think I would. Um, the idea was so strong when I got it that um, it came to me in such a way that I, I really didn't have a great deal of trouble writing it. Um, maybe other books along the line, if I really looked at them, I might do certain parts differently. But essentially, that first one, uh, no, no differently at all. It did what I wanted it to do. And am I correct that that first one has been optioned for, for the movies? Is that right? That's right. It was optioned in uh, Hollywood, yeah. And is it, do you think translating it from page to screen would be relatively straightforward? I, I would have thought so. Um, sort of, I can't really compare it to other storylines, but um, I don't see that there's a huge um, difference between lots of other intelligence-led uh, or um, that kind of uh, story that's been turned into a film. It, it involves people in um, dire situations. It involves danger and threat and chases and all the usual thing. I mean, if you think of the Bourne films, I'm not really comparing it with that, but if you think of the Bourne films with all of the sort of different storylines involved there with somebody uh, in a desperate situation, it's not so very different. You also write another series in addition to the Tate, uh, which is a, a mystery crime series. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier on people who write in the pre-technological area, and, and I'm quite happy to call it that because I write a series set in 1960s in northern France, and it's a police series, um, but I can forget all about mobile phones or cell phones. I can forget all about computers. To a degree, I can also forget about forensics because obviously there have been huge changes since the 60s in forensics and general technology. So to me, it's uh, an inspector called Lucas Rocco who has to get in his car and go find a phone if he wants one. And um, his, his job is all about legwork, getting to know people, finding out who the, the bad guys are, and not actually uh, listening into conversations over satellites or anything like that. Although I do have to say, occasionally I have to stop myself from having him reach for his cell phone. And is one series or character easier to write than the other? Oddly enough, no. Um, I, I enjoy hugely both of them because being able to forget about technology, I actually put my different hat on and I can write the series in France, um, which I know, I know that particular area well, so I can sink myself into writing about the area as well as the people. When it comes to Harry Tate, I can pretty much do what I like. Uh, and, you know, technology, as I said before, we can't really invent anything because the technology is moving so quickly. If I want to invent a piece of technology, then I can, in reason, obviously. But, um, so I just wear a different hat to write each one and each, enjoy each one for what it is. And could you tell our listeners who Ellen Cleary is? Uh, yes. You've been doing your homework, haven't you? Um, I used to write short stories for women's magazines uh, for many, many years and wrote hundreds of stories. And um, one day an editor came to me and said, look, we want you to write a series of um, humorous stories in the first person female. And bear in mind for women's magazines, um, you know, the man is not the central character. It's usually the woman is the main character. So I said, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. And set about writing these stories. And 
said, well, you can't have my name on, on, the, on the top of the story because it's going to look odd in the first-person female to have a man's name there. And they said, fine, we'll come up with a name. So I came up with my mother's maiden name, which was Alan Cleary. And um, I wrote this series of uh, pieces uh, with that name um, and then just started writing other stories under the name Alan Cleary. Uh, and it kind of stuck. It was quite useful for a while. But um, I haven't written a story um, with that name for a, a couple of years now. So uh, it's not quite abandoned, but it's certainly, she's, she's taking a holiday. Okay. And you also do a fair amount of writing, giving beginning writers advice. And sort of make this a compound question, um, I'm wondering if you could sort of summarize the most important pieces of advice that you give and whether those are things that you were told when you were starting out or that you learned through hard experience. Right. Um, the first thing is finish the book. Um, I think it was Michael Joseph uh, of the publishing house many, many years ago who said, if it's, not, if it's not written, I can't read it. But I can't read it, I have to sell it and publish it. Um, and so many people think they can write the first couple of chapters and that that should be uh, good enough to give somebody an idea of what they do. But really, you have to finish the book to see whether it hangs together, whether the story arc is, is good, uh, and in fact, whether you've got the stamina to do it, because to write 90,000 words or 100,000 takes a lot of stamina. So that's the first thing I always say, uh, finish the book. Uh, the second is um, sit down and do it. You can learn and you can theorize about writing, but actually the only way to do it is to sit down and write and see, see what comes out, because in the writing itself, you find that ideas come to you that you haven't previously had. So I do think it's a question of uh, just getting your backside on the seat and doing it. Well, thank you, Adrian, for your time. Uh, Execution is you. coming out in September from Severn. Uh, look for it. And uh, Adrian, I assume that there will be f future volumes in the series. Is that right? Yeah, I've uh, just submitted uh, an alternative character book to Seven, um, which is in the same genre. Uh, it's called The Watchman, and it's about a, a slightly darker character than Harry Tate. Uh, and that looks like it's going to be a series as well. So I think it will be likely to alternate with the Harry Tate series. So there will be more Harry Tate, but there will be more of this new character whose name is Portman. And uh, he's actually an American, so uh, it's a slightly different uh, set of stories for me, but basically still in the intelligence world. Thank you for that information. That's all for LitCast for now. Thanks for listening. And check out the other podcast PW Presents at publishersweekly.com.